live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, season 14. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal Season 14, Episode 3. And well done for everyone spotting my mistake at the end of last week's episode where I incorrectly stated Season 2, Episode 14. I'd like to say that that was a purposeful mistake to see if people were paying attention, but it genuinely wasn't and I'm going to blame it on just getting over a cold. Well, that cold is well and truly gone, so any mistakes today are completely down to me. But what we do have in store for today is one amazing true paranormal experience. Some of the more fascinating types of experience, for me, that we receive are when people seemingly have an attachment of some sort, but there is no rhyme or reason as to why. Or, at the very least, they're unaware of any reason why this paranormal entity may have latched itself on to them. And that is exactly the type of experience that we'll be dealing with today that's been sent in by our listener, Mike. I truly cannot wait to share it with you, and it genuinely features something scene-wise I've been replaying over and over in my mind ever since receiving the email and I wonder if you can guess which part it will be. Well, I will tell you at the end. But before we dive into Mark's amazing email, I'd like to say a quick thank you to our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you join our Patreon team, not only do you receive each and every episode that we release, both the minisodes, the main episodes, debuts and finales, before everyone else and ad-free but you can also gain exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a podcast that runs each and every Sunday of the year without fail, even on the downtime between seasons, meaning you never miss your dark paranormal fix. Plus, if you're a binge listener, there are over 50 hours worth of Patreon-only dark paranormal content for you to consume. But the best thing about our Patreon? is the community itself. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon, and we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like the following wonderful new team members have. Terry Joe Bibby, Maria Briggs, Lynn Montalbano, Brantley Drap, Dylan Abuel, Hannah Wade, Nurtured Online, Charisma Villiowen, Maisie McLean Colton, Armani Achillia, Stu's Merch Table, Andrew, Jack, April Bisbee, Daniel, Hilda Montiel Gomez, Karen Haig, Lamel, Claire HMC, Melissa Westbrook, Ryan Challen, Karen and Jody, Tara Pope Alvera, Ashley Rule, Emily, Lucky Peaches, Jamie Payer, Angela R, Gemma Williams, Fabian Nightshade, and Dave Baxter. Thank you so much for supporting the show, guys. It truly means the world to me. And I hope you enjoy all the early release ad-free content and, of course, those Dark Bite episodes. So, of course, if you're the sort of person who likes early ad-free releases, plus an entire back catalogue of Dark Bites that you can binge through, simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. But right now, lower those lights. Make yourself comfortable. And of course, leave your disbelief at the door. 
as we listen to Home is Where the Dark Is. My name is Mark, and I'm reaching out with my paranormal experience, hopefully to find some guidance, or at this point, even just a sympathetic ear. You see, my wife, Sarah, and I have been through a series of strange events that have left me questioning the very fabric of reality. I've heard you say before, we all should have an open mind, but not so open our brains fall out. Well, that describes my outlook. You see, I do have a level of belief in the paranormal, but with a healthy dose of scepticism. But what we've both experienced over the last few years has shaken my scepticism to its core. My story begins about two years ago, right after Sarah and I got married. We were besotted with each other, and we were excited to start our new life together. We got a small, somewhat aged, apartment in central Manchester. It was certainly nothing fancy, but it was our first home together and therefore we loved it. However, it wasn't long before things started happening. Little occurrences. Things that I initially brushed off as quirks of an old building. But as these events grew in both frequency and intensity, I couldn't help but feel there was something more to it all. Sarah, ever the rational one, always had a logical explanation. But I couldn't shake the feeling that we were not alone in that apartment. I'm writing to you because I've done the rational conversation after conversation about how the paranormal doesn't exist. And what we've experienced was just a mix of paranoia the sounds of an old building, forgetfulness, etc. My friends and family have been, well, supportive, but I can tell they don't believe me. I've listened to your podcast for a while now and thought you or a listener might offer some insight or advice. I'll recount our experiences in detail below, in the hope that some light may be shed on what's been happening. Our first encounter happened about a month after moving into the apartment. It was only a small incident, really. I spent about an hour scouring the place for my keys, and I found them in the refrigerator. I laughed it off, thinking maybe Sarah was playing a prank or that I had absentmindedly placed them there the night before. Sarah's as sceptical as they come. But I must admit, she didn't seem as amused as I was, which I think in hindsight made me feel more concerned than the keys themselves. As the weeks passed, these minor oddities became more frequent. And then we began hearing faint whispers 
late at night, as in really early in the morning. At first, we thought it was the neighbours, but the sound didn't seem like it was coming from the walls. It felt eerily close, as if someone was murmuring from a space about a foot below the bedroom ceiling. Sarah, ever logical, insisted it was just the wind or some flaw in the building's acoustics. Then things escalated. One evening, as we sat in our living room, a cold breeze swept through the room. Mind you, all of the windows were shut, and our apartment wasn't exactly prone to drafts. I looked at Sarah, who had a puzzled look on her face. But she quickly rationalised it as a sudden drop in temperature from outside. And then it happened again. This time, we paused the TV. The apartment was a duplex, and the stairs that led to the bedroom began in the living room. Kind of open plan. I think it's coming from upstairs, Sarah said, trying to be rational. I decided let's calmly try and find the source, and so began a heated debate about the best way to do this. Sarah said lighting a candle would suffice, saying the flame would flicker or move as we approached the source of the draft. I argued that flames can flicker of their own accord, and instead we should tie cotton from our bedroom door handle down the stairs to the front door handle, and we should also dangle sheets of toilet paper a few inches apart going down the stairs. Therefore, any breeze that came down would shake the paper, and if it was coming from upstairs, it should be obvious, as the ones nearer the top of the stairs should be shaking more than the ones nearer the bottom. Sarah laughed and said it was a waste of toilet paper, but I was already in the kitchen drawer trying to find a roll of thread. Ten minutes later, with my toilet paper breeze trap all set up and in full view of where we sat on the couch, we unpaused our show. Maybe thirty minutes had passed when Sarah tapped my knee and nodded towards the stairs. The top sheets near the bedroom were beginning to sway. See? I said, noting the ones at the bottom were still motionless. I said, and if you look at those... We watched in disbelief as one by one, very quickly, moving down the stairs, each strip of toilet paper was pulled from the thread and thrown into the air. Each one in sequence. After the final one near the front door was thrown... A final icy blast blew through the living room. We were both frozen after what we just witnessed. Can, can... Can a strong breeze do that? Sarah, half serious, half rhetorically, asked. No. Well, well, I'm not sure, I replied. I think both of us didn't want to face the fact that this was not normal. But the incident that truly unnerved me and made me think 
we need to leave this apartment, happened a week later. I woke up in the middle of the night to find the silhouette of a person stood at the foot of the bed. It was so vivid, so real, that I froze in terror. But when I blinked, it vanished. Sarah was awoken by my heavy breathing, and after hearing my story and seeing the look on my face, tried to calm me down by suggesting it was a trick of the light or a figment of my imagination. But I knew in my soul there had just been a person stood at the foot of the bed. In the weeks that followed, the apartment became to feel different. Like we were intruding on someone else's space. I know it sounds crazy, but I couldn't ignore the feeling of being watched. The small whispers in the dead of night. The cold drafts that would come literally out of nowhere. The incidents in that apartment grew more frequent and more disturbing. Objects would begin moving on their own. I would place a book on the coffee table just to go to the toilet. I'd come back and find it on the kitchen counter. Sarah would continue to find logical explanations, suggesting maybe I was just forgetful. But then, one night, something happened that even Sarah couldn't explain away. We were both asleep when a loud crash jolted us both awake. We ran down to the living room to find a vase that we'd had on a shelf shattered on the floor. All of the remaining items on the rather busy shelf were untouched, and there was no sign of a break-in or any disturbance that could have caused that vase to fall. After this incident, even Sarah admitted she felt uneasy. She said she still didn't believe we were haunted, but she agreed there was something uncomfortable about the apartment. So we began discussing moving out. The final straw came one evening when I returned home to find Sarah pale and shaken. She rather reluctantly told me that whilst changing the bedding, she'd heard someone call her name from the landing. When she went to investigate, no one was there. We both decided it was time to leave. And we found a quaint house, only a small drive from the centre. Hoping a change of environment would put an end to our unsettling experiences. Little did we know, however, our troubles were far from over. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. 
But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to-do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. Moving into our new home brought a brief period of relief. The change of scenery. The quiet neighborhood. The sense of owning our first home after renting. All of this filled us with a renewed sense of hope. And for a few weeks, everything seemed normal. And I began to feel like we'd left all of the eerie experiences behind in that apartment. However, it wasn't long before that familiar sense of unease crept its way back into our lives. It began subtly. I would hear floorboards creaking upstairs when I knew both Sarah and I were downstairs. The first few times, even I dismissed it as the house settling, a common occurrence in older homes. But then, the nightly whispers returned, this time clearer, as if someone was speaking much, much lower, no longer by the ceiling, more directly in to my ear. Sarah remained sceptical. She hadn't yet heard whispers. She suggested that the stress of the move, our past experiences, etc., were causing me to imagine things. Well, even I wanted to believe that. But the incidents became harder to dismiss. One night, while Sarah was away at her parents', I experienced the most terrifying event yet. I was asleep in bed, and I was jolted awake by the sensation of someone sitting on the bed beside me. The literal sinking of the mattress, accompanied with the sound of the springs compressing. I fumbled and quickly turned on the light, but the room was empty. Not just that, but where the person or thing had been sitting, I watched the mattress raise back up. While I jumped out of bed, I ran round the house looking everywhere for any signs of an intruder. But everything was as it should be. I didn't mention this to Sarah, fearing it would either worry her or add to her belief I was going mad. However, I still couldn't shake the feeling that whatever presence had been in our apartment had followed us to our new home. I've literally just remembered another thing as I type. I can't believe I didn't remember it. When we moved into the flat, we received a gift of a rather fancy cheeseboard set. It was black slate, 
engraved with the words, Cheesy Does It, a cheese knife, etc. Anyway, when packing up to move to the house, the black slate board had disappeared. And I mean disappeared. The flat, being a rental, had to be stripped clean. And we even paid for a professional clean before we handed the keys back mentioning to the cleaners that we'd mislaid this cheese board. Even they said it was nowhere to be found. When we moved into the house, we were unpacking the kitchen, and I removed a small square peg holder, designed to hold a number of socks. Where should I put this? I said to Sarah, holding it out in one hand. As it collapsed flat, she nodded to the refrigerator and said, put it on top of there. So I pulled out a small stool, and there, on top of the fridge, was a black slate cheese board with Cheesy Does It engraved. I know what you think. Well, perhaps the last tenants had the same board. Fair point. Yet ours had, from Steph, and three kisses scraped into the back. With a lump in my throat, I lifted up the board. From Steph, kiss, kiss, kiss. Sarah could not accept this. She, hand on heart, thought I was playing a prank. Some crappy prank, if you ask me. Some crappy, terrifying prank. A few weeks after moving into the house, Sarah invited her old uni friend, Emily, over for dinner. Emily had always been a close confidant, and Sarah was looking forward to spending a relaxed evening with her. I was in the living room reading, whilst they chatted away in the kitchen, wine, candles, and a good old catch-up. Suddenly... Both their conversation and my reading was interrupted by a loud thud from upstairs. Assuming something had just fallen over, I heard Sarah excuse herself to Emily and walk into the living room, glancing at me as she passed and went up the stairs. She returned a few moments later, visibly confused, saying nothing was amiss. Later, as I joined them both to eat a takeaway, Emily, who had been unusually quiet, hesitantly shared what she had witnessed. She said that while Sarah was upstairs, she saw a shadow by the door of the kitchen. She said it was so distinct, so human-like, that she initially thought it was me. But then she heard me cough in the living room. I glanced at Sarah, a fork paused at my mouth. Sarah tried to laugh it off, suggesting it was just the movement of light from the flickering candles, but I could see the actual concern in her eyes. This incident was particularly unsettling for her, not because of the bang or because of what was witnessed, but because of who witnessed it? It was someone she trusted the judgment of ever since her university days. And now she 
was challenging her rational explanations. One evening, a few days after Emily's visit, I was home alone, preparing dinner for Sarah's return from work. The house felt calm, and I was enjoying the solitude, having my music on for a change. As I stood by the stove stirring the pot, I suddenly felt a presence right behind me. It was so real, so palpable. I instinctively jump-spun around, expecting to see Sarah, thinking I'd just zoned out and not heard her arrive. But there was no one there. The kitchen was empty. The doors were closed, and the windows showed only the darkening evening outside. The sensation of being watched was overwhelming. I felt a genuine chill run down my spine, and for a moment I was rooted to the spot, sincerely afraid to turn my back to the empty room. I had to shake the feeling off, and so I'd done my best and I tried to focus on cooking, but the sense of an unseen presence lingered. This experience was profoundly disconcerting, I think because it happened at such a normal moment, invading the simple peace of a quiet evening. Then, one Thursday afternoon, Sarah, who had been a steadfast sceptic until then, had her own encounter with whatever was in that house. I was at work, and I got a frantic phone call from her. Her voice was trembling, and she was sincerely distressed. When I got home, she explained that she'd been in the kitchen, and she'd heard footsteps upstairs. Assuming it was just the house settling, she ignored it. But then, she heard the same loud thump that we did when Emily was there. Like something heavy had fallen. Concerned, she went upstairs to check. As she reached the top of the stairs, she saw the bedroom door close on its own. Sarah, as brave as she is, walked over and opened the door, only to find the room empty and undisturbed. But as she turned to leave, she heard from directly behind her a whisper. As clear as day, Sarah, calling her name. It was so real, so close, that she couldn't deny what she'd heard. She ran out of the house and waited for me on the front lawn. When I arrived home, I found her in the garden, shaking with a mix of fear and cold. For the first time, Sarah admitted that maybe, just maybe... There was something otherworldly going on. That evening, we sat down and seriously discussed the possibility that our house, perhaps even one of us, might be haunted. Faced with the inescapable truth that we were dealing with something beyond our comprehension, Sarah and I decided to seek help. 
After listening to your show and the experiences of paranormal phenomena, I suggested reaching out to you privately. But Sarah shot down that idea immediately, saying we needed immediate, tangible assistance. We are both exceptionally lapsed Catholics, and we contacted our local priest, explaining our situation, and he agreed, thankfully, to do a house blessing. The priest visited our house a few days later. He listened intently as we recounted our experiences as we shown him around, pointing out where each occurrence had took place. He nodded understandingly, without a hint of scepticism, like he'd heard it all before. He then proceeded to bless the house, moving through each room with holy water and saying prayers, and there was a sense of calm and serenity almost immediately as he worked. After he left, for the first time in months, the house felt truly peaceful. After that blessing, there was a noticeable change. The whispers ceased, the cold drafts disappeared, and the house felt warm and welcoming once again. Sarah and I started to relax and enjoy our life in our new home. Weeks turned into months, and there were no further incidents. It would appear the priest's intervention had put an end to our haunting. We were grateful, relieved, and finally able to move on. Life basically returned to normal or as normal as it could be following such experiences. We even started joking about our ghostly encounters, treating them as nothing more than a bizarre past chapter of our lives. As I'm writing this email to you, it's been almost six months since the house was blessed. Sarah and I have settled into a comfortable routine, and the memories of those eerie occurrences have started to fade. But I must confess, there is a part of me that remains on edge. There is a small voice in the back of my mind that tells me something is returning. Recently, we've had a couple of minor yet frighteningly familiar occurrences that have caught my attention. Last week, for example, I found a picture frame, one that's always been securely placed on our mantelpiece, laying face down on the living room floor. Sarah laughed it off, saying it must have been the vibration from heavy traffic outside. Then, just two nights ago, I thought I heard a faint whisper as I was drifting off to sleep. Now, it was probably just that in-between-asleep-and-awake state of mind, but it felt eerily similar to the whispers I used to experience. I'm probably, hopefully, just being paranoid. After all, we've had the house blessed, and there hasn't been anything truly unsettling since then but I can't shake this feeling something is lingering, waiting. 
Maybe it's psychological scars from our past experiences. Or maybe our ghostly visitor hasn't quite left just yet. So, this is me reaching out to you, not just for advice, but also to share my experience. I know you've heard similar tales, so perhaps you can offer some advice, insight into what might be happening. I'm hoping it's all in my head, but if it's not, I need to be prepared for what might come next. Thank you for taking the time to read my email. Any thoughts or advice you or your listeners could offer would be greatly appreciated. Best regards, Mark H. Mark, sincerely thank you for sending in one of the most interesting experiences I've read in a long time. And for those wondering which part of the experience has been replaying in my mind, it was the toilet paper section, where they were thrown into the air off the piece of cotton. I think it's maybe because we have stairs that start in the living room. So, when you can place that image in your own home, I think it adds a lot to the fear factor. But Mark, to address you directly for a moment, first and foremost, Sarah was quite right in shooting down the idea to contact me for advice about an ongoing haunting. Because my one piece of advice would have been to do what you ended up doing, i.e. going to seek advice from someone who knows more about the topic, in this case, a priest. In regards to what to expect in the future, I'm going to pass that over to our listeners, because I have truly no idea. Of course, I could hypothesise of what caused the original haunting and the haunting that followed you from the apartment to the house. Perhaps it's some item one of you do not realise is possessed or cursed, but I'm literally only going through tropes. It could be something hereditary, something familial in your lineage that you're unaware of. You may even be unlucky enough to have moved from one haunted home to another. I simply can't give you an answer to that. And I sincerely apologise that I can't help with these questions. One thing I would ask, though, is if this continues, if whatever the priest apparently got rid of does return, if you could let us know, I'd really appreciate that. And listeners, if you have any advice or theories for Mark, you know where to send them. Contact at thedarkparanormal.com But for now, that wraps up, let me make sure I get this right, episode 3 of season 14. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for yet another instalment of Dark Bites. And for everyone else, I'll see you Wednesday for a minisode before we hit episode 4 on Friday. But until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, right here on The Dark Paranormal.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.